Covenant theology is the theology of the Bible. And 2 Samuel 7 is very covenantal. Now the word covenant is not found in 2 Samuel 7, but the stuff of covenant is found on every line of the chapter. It's actually apt for the Bible to do covenant theology, to talk about covenant and not use the word covenant. We see this in Genesis 1 and 3. The word covenant is not found in Genesis 1 and 3, but covenant fills its ever pages, every one of its pages. And then later on in Hosea 6, 7, God tells us that the Genesis account was in fact a covenant. Hosea 6, 7 says, I quote, but like Adam, Israel transgressed the covenant. Israel transgressed the covenant like Adam. Adam first transgressed the covenant and God kicked him out of the land of the the, 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 the paradise land, and then Israel transgressed the covenant and God kicked Israel out of the promised land. Both Israel and Adam were under the same covenant, a legal, works-based, do-this-and-live covenant. And both failed. Psalm 89 does this for 2 Samuel. Psalm 89 tells us that 2 Samuel 7 is in fact a covenant. But unlike Adam, David did nothing and received everything. And we've seen this covenant before as well. In Genesis 15, God made a covenant with Abraham and Abraham did nothing and received everything. In the covenant of grace, the Lord works, the Lord serves, and the Lord gives unconditionally to his people. And we find that same sovereign love in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7 is a covenant, and covenants always give us a history. And there's a history lesson in this covenant in 2 Samuel 7, and the title of my sermon is this, The History of Yahweh Doing Everything. This is the history of Yahweh doing everything, and I got good three points for you this morning. The history of God doing everything. The first point is the history of God doing everything for Israel. The second point is the history of God doing everything for David. And the third point is the super history. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I want to keep you wanting, keep you awake while I get through these first two points. And what's that super history? I want to learn about that super history. It's coming. But first, the history of Yahweh doing everything for Israel. Verse 1, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest, the Lord built this house, Yahweh built the house, Yahweh gave David rest from all his surrounding enemies. Yahweh built the house, Yahweh provided the rest, Yahweh was David's provider, Yahweh was David's comforter, gave him peace. Yahweh was David's everything. And David wanted to return the favor. 
So the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Yahweh was David's comforter. Yahweh was David's everything. And David wanted to return the favor. God gave David rest. David wanted to give Yahweh rest. Yahweh is the Yahweh is, he does everything in this text, by the way. If you notice all the first person singulars, if you just look through the text, you might want to underline some of them. They're all really good. Verse 6 says, I brought up the people. Verse 8 says, I took you from the pasture. I took, I brought. Verse 9 says, I have been with you. I will make for you. Verse 10, I will appoint. God, Yahweh does everything in this text. I will serve, I will protect, I will deliver, I will reward, I will provide, I secure. And what does David do in this text? David's done nothing. The Lord has built him a house. The Lord is giving him rest from all his enemies. But now he wants to return the favor. And it's a pious, pious request. Nathan understood it. So Nathan agrees in verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, go do that is all in your heart. Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now notice something very interesting in this text. Nathan the prophet doesn't inquire of the Lord. He sees this as a pious, reasonable request, and he grants it to David. But as we'll see in a moment, there's something wrong with piety. There's something wrong with personal piety that foregoes revelation. And the problem with piety that foregoes revelation is the heart of man. Our heart, as Jeremiah says, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The heart is evil, but the word of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Our piety as Christians must flow from the word of, the, word of the Lord alone. Verse 4, but that same night, the word, notice the word of the Lord came to Nathan. So now the word's coming. God's forcing it. He didn't inquire, but the Lord is bringing it. Verse 5, go tell my servant David, notice, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? That's where we want to live. We want to live in the word of the Lord. We, as Christians, find our security in the thus saith the Lord. We shouldn't find our security in the pious opinions and commandments of men. But we must find our surety in the word of God. No matter how nice, sentimental, or sweet someone's piety may sound, if it's not God's word, it's just worthless, really. No matter how sweet and nice and sentimental it sounds, without the word of God, it's just worthless piety. You see, we add nothing to God's word, and God's word needs nothing from us, and we live by that word alone. God has given us everything we need in his word. Now, David got to live in a house that God gave him. He got to rest, which God gave him, and what did he do to deserve all of this? What did David actually do? The text is clear. He did nothing and got everything. And not just David. This is Israel's history too. Israel's history is the history of Yahweh doing everything for Israel. Verse 6, have I not lived in a house since the day I brought up this people? 
the people of Israel from Egypt. You see, it is God. Look at the text. God brought them up from Egypt. God delivered his people. Salvation in Israel was the salvation of the Lord. The Lord delivered his people. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. The Lord moved with his people in all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I have commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? The Lord delivered Israel. The Lord provided for Israel. The Lord protected Israel. Yahweh was Israel's Emmanuel. He was Israel's Emmanuel, going with Israel, protecting Israel, providing for Israel. And what did Israel do? Did they build a house for the Lord? They did nothing and got everything. Yahweh was their provider. God was pleased to bless his people. And we call this pleasure grace. And God, who is creator God, was content to live in tents with his people. And we call this humility. The creator of heaven and earth, the God of all glory, worthy of all praise, humbled himself. Why did he live in tents? The text is clear. He could have commanded Israel, build me a temple now. But he lived in tents. Why? When his people wandered, God wandered. As his people remained unsettled, God was unsettled. And Israel would finally establish herself, and then Yahweh put down roots and built his temple. But for now, he was mobile because his people were on the move. You see, Israel's history is the history of God with his people where they're at. The creator of all things took the form of a servant to give Israel everything. And above all things, he stooped down to his people's side, not to be served, but to serve. We call this gospel. No matter your sins and misery, grace, God will never leave or forsake you wherever you may wander. And wandering could be good or bad. No matter where you wander, God will wander with you. No matter where you sit unsettled, God is there settling all things together for your good. Your life, your life, Christian, is the history of God doing everything for you. Your life is God doing everything, holding you in his hand, moving heaven and earth with his other hand, to give you everything. And why is God so good to you? Is God so good to you because you're so good? Is God good to you because you've done so much? No, it's grace. Because of the covenant where God promised, and God promises in the covenant to redeem his people, so he has redeemed you. God has promised to protect you, so he protects you. God has promised to provide for you, so he provides for you, no matter what we do. A matter of fact, even when we are faithless, he is faithful He cannot deny his covenant. Your life is the history of Yahweh doing everything for you. It's gospel. And then the narrator turns to the history of Yahweh doing everything for David. 
Israel's history is the history of God doing everything for Israel. David's history is the history of God doing everything for David. Verse 8. Now, therefore, verse 8, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts. Notice now that the narrator doesn't simply call God Yahweh as previously, but now Yahweh of hosts. You see, this covenant falls on the heel of David's conquest. David has just destroyed the enemy. David has, David has, has captured Zion. He's, he's captured Jerusalem, and he's restored the ark back in the place where it belongs. But it wasn't David who destroyed. It wasn't David who secured. It was the Lord of hosts. The battle belongs to Yahweh. Yahweh went before David and destroyed the enemy. Yahweh went before David and captured the city. Yahweh restored the ark. It is God doing everything for Israel. God doing everything for David. David did nothing. David was simply chosen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pastor. You see, election made David. God chose David. Election made him who he is. I took you from the pastor from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. Ordination, God's ordination made David who he was. God doing everything, choosing and working in David taking him from the ashes, from rubble to riches. Verse 9, and I have been with you. Notice, I have been with you. Notice all the singulars, first person singulars. It's I took, I have been with you. God was with David. And this I have been with you is a very important clause in this story. You might want to underline it. I have been with you. How was God with him? When you went out, I cut off your enemies. When David went out, it was the Lord of hosts who destroyed the enemies. It was the Lord of hosts who protected David. It was the Lord of hosts who will provide for him. I will make for you. So you got, you got, you got past tense. I have been with you. I have protected you. You got future tense. I will make past grace, future grace. It's all grace because David's history, David's future is God doing everything. I will, make you, I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. David will receive glory, and it will be Yahweh giving David the glory. And not only glory, but a people and a place. Verse 10, and I will point a place for my people. Israel's future was grace. I will plant I will plant them, he says. The Lord chose his people. He chose the field. He chose the people. He planted the seed. He does the watering. He raised up the harvest. He blesses his people. The Lord gives Israel life. The Lord protects. The Lord provides. Yahweh did everything for Israel. In David's history is grace, I took, I have been, I have cut down. In his future is more grace, I will make, I will appoint. The history of God's people is grace upon grace forever. That's because the history of God's people is the history of God doing everything for Israel. Why? Because of covenant. God has promised through covenant to redeem, justify, sanctify, 
and glorify his people. And covenant theology is one of the reasons why Reformed Christians love that one little word, alone. We love that word alone, don't we? Grace alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, faith alone, to the glory of God alone, because the work of salvation belongs to the Lord alone. All of the blessings that we receive in this life come from God alone. The salvation that we have in Christ from Christ alone. The truth that we live by from the word alone. We love alone because we know that God watches over us in such a way that not a hair falls from our head. He alone protects and provides for us. We belong to God and we know that all things must therefore work together for our salvation. We have the Holy Spirit so we are assured of eternal life and God is now working in us both to will and do according to his pleasure for his glory. Our life alone belongs to the Lord. We live, move, and have our being in God who does everything for his people because God alone, and he's a God who made covenant with us, the covenant of grace. And so we have these two histories, the history of God doing everything for Israel, the history of God doing everything for David, and now we have another history. And that history begins in verse 10. It's a very subtle history. He says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place. And we saw that happen. That did happen in Israel. That is Israel's history. That's a history lesson. But notice this, next clause. And they will be disturbed no more. And violent men, violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And what we see here is another history is unfolding. You see, God promises his people a place without disturbance. Did God provide a place? Yes. Was David freed from his enemies? Verse 11 says, from this time, from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Did David receive rest from all his enemies? Think about David's life. David is going to receive threats for the rest of his life. And most of those threats are going to come by his own making. And they're going to come from his own home. And Israel, Israel will be disturbed from this point forward. She will be disturbed so much that she will be kicked out of the land. She will be destroyed by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians. And we know why. Like Adam... Israel transgressed the covenant. So like Adam, God removed them from the land. You see, Israel received the curse sanctions of Adam. Why? Covenant. God made a covenant with Israel. Do this and live. And they failed. And that's one history. But there's another history here. It's the history of everlasting blessedness, a time and a place where no eye will weep and death shall be no more, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's what I read here, verse 11. I will give you rest from all your enemies, rest. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. 
And the Lord made David a house. And guess what happened to that house? It gets destroyed. And even David's life, look at David's life, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, why will David lie down with his fathers? For the wages of sin is death. This is a reference to the curse. This is a reference to an old history. Curse sanctions. Do this and live. But David will die. That's law. But then there's grace. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. So he's saying, hey, you're going to die, but your kingdom will endure. That's grace. And he'll have an offspring. He'll have a son. And Solomon's reign continued. And Solomon built a house, verse 13. He shall build a house for my name. And Solomon built a house for God's name. And what happened to that house? It was destroyed. That's a history lesson, right? Solomon built a house, it was destroyed. But then there's grace, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's two history lessons going on. Solomon destroyed, Solomon's temple gets destroyed. The kingdom fell, the kingdom was lost. That's a history lesson. It's the story of Adam. But there's another history lesson here. But my kingdom will endure. Because it is a kingdom beyond this history. It's a super history, a super kingdom, a kingdom not of this world. And this kingdom will have a son, verse 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And this son is the offspring of verse 12. And the word offspring in the Bible, the singular notice, offspring, is a very loaded term in Scripture. And it's charged by the Abrahamic covenant. I will be God to you and your offspring. This is a son by grace. Gracious son, I will be to him a father and he shall be to my son. Grace, but then curse. Verse 14 continues. When he commits iniquity, there's the curse. He commits iniquity. The sins of Adam continue. The curse of Adam and thus the stipulations of the Edemic covenant. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. This is the curse. This discipline is the result of the fall. Historically, sin remained in Israel. God eventually disciplines them out of the land. This is the history of Moses, where God promised exile and destruction for those who, like Adam, transgressed the covenant. Verse 14 ends with a curse. But then verse 15, grace. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. Grace, but then curse, as I took it from Saul. <laughs> we got law gospel going on right here, back and forth, following back and forth from each verse. I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. That's a history lesson. The history of Adam. Saul was disobedient. God removed him from the land. Curse sanctions. Then gospel. Verse 16, in your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
This is gospel. There's long gospel in this text because there's two history lessons going on in this text. Two history lessons because of two covenants. This is the story of Adam and Moses and failure. And this is the story of Abraham and his offspring, success. And there is a history of obedience and life in this text. And this is the history of the fulfillment of the Edemic covenant. And this fulfillment is the history of God doing everything in Christ to redeem his people from sin and death. We call it the Abrahamic covenant, or even better, we call it the new covenant. It's a super history. Because the offspring in this text does not refer to many, but to one who is Christ. Jesus Christ is the yes and the amen of all God's promises. He is the yes and amen of all the covenants. And in Christ, we find the creator of the covenant. Christ is the creator of the covenant, God, who actually created the covenant. And he is the faithful covenant savior who humbled himself to be obedient, to be faithful to the covenant he created. And so Christ fulfilled the Mosaic covenant. He is the second Adam, the greater son who won for us the blessings of Abraham. This is the history. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant is the history of Yahweh doing everything for his people. So we know Christ built the temple. Didn't he build a temple? He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, what? I'll raise it up. The death and resurrection of Christ has built a temple for the Lord, a house for the Lord. And we are now being united to that house as building blocks, living stones, a temple of the Lord. And that kingdom... By his resurrection, he's claimed a kingdom not of this world. Jesus built God's house through service and suffering. He humbled himself not to be served, but to serve. And by faith, Christ's obedience is ours, as if we have never sinned nor been a sinner. Unlike Adam and Israel, Christ was obedient to the covenant. He was perfect, yet the Father disciplined him by the rod of men so that by his stripes we might be healed, all our sins forgiven. You see, Christ earned heaven for his people. That's the gospel message. The gospel message is this. Christ earned heaven. You did nothing, but you get everything. This means nothing you do or don't do can separate you from the love of God. Sin cannot destroy this covenant, for Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Death, your death cannot annul this covenant, because David may lie down in death, but Yahweh raised up this offspring. And a new day has come in his resurrection, so time cannot exhaust this covenant. And ours is life forever, where death is gain. And we belong to a new day, a new history, and it's a history that lasts forever. Ours is new life, for it is not I who live, but Christ in me. We have a new place through baptism, which we're going to see this morning. We have a new place where we seek the things not below, but the things above. And we have a new hymn, and our hymn is this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? We have a new day, a new song. We are a new people, a super history. 
For the kingdom of God, the covenant of grace, is the history of Christ destroying sin and reigning forever. And this history is unstoppable. Christ will return one day to finish this age and begin the new day forever where God will still be doing everything for his people. For we are an eternal people living with a God who does everything. We do nothing and we live forever by his grace and mercy in Christ. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.